Steve Marshall, everyone. <laughs> It's good to have everyone here. You may ha have a seat. We want you to know that uh, if you are new to Mission View, that your presence is important to us. Uh, you'll notice on the bulletin there is a communication card. Um, this is our ticket to getting to know you better. So we want to know you. We want to pray for you. We're not going to harass you, but we do want to help you understand more about what Mission View is all about. So I want to encourage you to, to take this, tear it off, and to fill it out. And when the offering plate's passed, please put it in the offering plate because it helps us to know uh, how we can best pray for you. Our mission here at Mission View is that we want to see people come to faith in Christ. And as they come to faith in Christ, we want to see them grow in intimacy with the Lord. We want them to get connected with each other and Ultimately, we want every person to understand the mission that God has for them, and so that's vitally important to us. And so this is kind of the first step for us to start to get to know each other and to start that process of fulfilling that mission. So we hope that everybody will be a part of that. Um, I do want you to know that since community is in a vital part of our mission statement, well, we're going to be starting our community groups in January and we want to encourage everybody to be a part of it. Now, some people have said, I've heard about community groups, I hear the word community group, but I don't really know why you're doing what you're doing. Well, let me explain briefly. We're having these community groups in homes because we want to take it from a big group experience to a smaller group experience where we start to get accountable, we can encourage one another, we can love one another, get to know each other, so that people feel like they are absolutely vital and connected in the ministry. It's also a way that we can get you serving in the community because each community group will be doing service projects. On Sunday morning, we have more of a monologue in, return, in regards to the message. We're not asking you questions. You don't get a chance to interact. We don't think that's very fair. We think that you ought to be able to interact. And so in the home groups, that's when we start to dialogue about what's happening in, in the Word of God and how it applies to our life. In January, we're going to be starting to go through verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And so it's going to be vital that you get a part of a community group so that we can start that discussion process and learning process through the book of Ephesians. So I hope that you'll get online, that you'll... <clears throat> that you'll uh, uh, register, and if you don't know how to register online, you can see somebody at the Welcome Centers. They will help you through that process. We'd like to do that. Um, we have Celebrate with Family next Sunday. Sunday night is going to be taking place. Celebrate with Family. That's going to be happening in the evening. So let me tell you what's going to happen in the morning. We're going to have a normal service here. We're not going to have commons next Sunday. We're not going to have the commons so you can plan your day accordingly. Come to service. We'll enjoy the service. Say goodbye to one another. But plan on coming back. Treat Sunday night like your Christmas Eve. It is our Christmas Eve service. It's kind of a, a, a night of worship. I think it's going to be a special time. And then immediately afterwards, we're going to have cookies and re refreshments and the things that we would have had in the commons in the morning we will have in the evening so it should be a special time 
please use this to invite somebody. These little uh, information cards are at the Welcome Center. You can use it to invite a guest, somebody that you might think would, be in, would enjoy coming and being a part of Mission View. Also, I want you to know that today we um, are going to have in D2, right after the service, we're going to have an information meeting for anybody that has junior high youth. Junior high youth, you're going to be introduced to the new junior high leaders <clears throat> and how they're going to be conducting the senior high and junior high in the future. And so that'll be uh, important for those of you that would have junior high youth. The last thing I want to share is that we have new membership coming up. Now, everybody's on the same page because we all need to become a member, including your lead pastor. Um, we, are, we have been using the Sunday uh, mornings to help you understand the ethos of what Mission View is all about. And so we're going to be also uh, helping you last week, this week, and next week through a video that you'll see in a minute of some of the core things that Mission View is all about. You will receive next week a, a book or a, a one-page document that is an affirmation of faith, and it will have core values and core doctrinal beliefs. And if you believe that this is something that you can sign and be a part of, that will be your introduction to membership. Why do we do membership? Because it's a place of accountability that's basically saying, this is my family. I want to be a part of this family. And so you'll be introduced to that document next week. And then on the 29th, we're hoping between the 22nd and the 29th that people will turn the, that document in and you would say, yes, I'm signing the dotted line. I want this to be my family. I am committed to Mission View, to helping the mission of seeing a church planted in this community. And I am I'm on board with that. So we hope that you will do that. Now, I want you to watch this video. It's Brian is sharing a little bit about some of the, the core values of who we are as a ministry. So watch this. The next step to becoming a member at Mission View Church is to affirm seven things that everyone who's a member at Mission View Church will affirm. These seven tenets are taken directly from Scripture, and they are as follows. Number one. The Bible is God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. What that means is God chose to speak to human authors who recorded his words. It lasts forever, and it's without error in its original manuscripts. Number two. There is one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Number three, Jesus Christ is fully God and entered human form by the miracle of the virgin birth, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. Number four, the Holy Spirit is God. His ministry is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, convict the world of sin, and minister to the believer. Number five, all people are created in the image of God. But because of Adam's sin, they are sinful by nature and choice. Apart from forgiveness through Jesus Christ, all are lost and alienated from God. Number six, salvation rests solely on the work of God's grace. Christ's death is the only payment for sin that God will accept. 
All who believe in Christ are born again and become the children of God. All believers, once saved, are secure in Christ forever. Number seven. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath and hell. The saved will be resurrected in body and raised to eternal intimacy with God in his presence and a new earth and heaven. These are the seven things that are affirmed by all of the members at Mission View Church. On these seven things we are unified. Why don't you stand and tell your neighbor good morning. This morning as we go to a time of prayer, my wife Lee and I would like to lead you. Um, and prayer is a vital vital importance to our ministry that we would just lift up our hearts unified to the Lord. So Lee's going to start us off. We'd like to pray for two ministries, uh, First Friends Church and Refuge of Hope. Refuge of Hope is a um, inner city, um, faith-based, non-denominational uh, mission. They um, are a men's homeless shelter that provide um, overnight housing, showers, warm meals, um, spiritual guidance, as well as accountability. So we'd like to lift um, both of these ministries up to the Lord. Father, I just thank you this morning for Refuge of Hope. I thank you for the, the work that's going on there and the continual blessings that you've had on that ministry. Lord, I just pray for um, the Spirit's power to work. I pray that the, the power of the Spirit will go forth in the, in the workers as they share you with um, men that come into the to the shelter, I pray that it will go forth more importantly in your word. Lord, it's a lonely and depressed time right now for some of these for these men, and I just pray that your spirit will give them hope um, and that they'll come to know you. Father, I, just, um, I also pray for a holy hedge of protection around this ministry, around the building, around the families of the workers that serve there, around the men that come through there, that they will just find hope in you. I lastly pray for um, provision. Lord, I pray that you will continue to provide for this ministry. Thank you for the building that you've given them. Thank you for the finances for the workers. But we also know that workers get tired and buildings need repaired. And right now there's a special need that um, they would just have more room, that they're out of room for beds. And Lord, I just pray that we can be faithful in our giving, that we will be obedient, that we can give of our resources, our time. And Lord, I just pray that we can be prayer warriors for this ministry. And dear, dear Heavenly Father, we also pray for Stan Henshaw, who is the lead pastor of First Friends. We pray, Father, that you would use that ministry to be successful in sharing the gospel. Lord, we thank you that it's not about one church, it's about your church. And we thank you that we can lift up brothers and sisters that are working hard for the gospel. And I pray, Father, that your hand of blessing would be upon that ministry. Would you give Stan the, the wisdom that he needs to lead? And now, Lord, as we take our offerings, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would take the, uh, the gifts that we would give. Pray that our hearts would be so in tune with you that we would realize that everything that we do, everything that we give, we have open hands before you and that you own it all. And, Lord, as we give back to you, it is a, a sign of our faith. It is a we want to give to you sacrificially as your word commands. We pray, Father, that you would bless the offerings and that you would use them for the advancing your gospel. We pray that in Christ's name.
Well, good morning, Mission View Church. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke, the 22nd chapter. As, as many of you know, uh, this past summer, my wife and son and I, as well as Mitch and Rebecca and Cooper, we all moved up to North Canton, Ohio from Vicksburg, Mississippi. My wife and I spent four years in Vicksburg. Mitch spent almost 30 years in Vicksburg. And as the news was given to the church and as we told people that we were leaving to come be part of a brand new ministry in, in North Canton, Ohio, the past couple weeks of, of Brooke and I's schedule filled up. And we got the privilege of going to lunch or dinner with just a number of people that we loved, just a number of people from the church that we developed friendships with, and we just loved that time. We loved the ability to spend time with them at one of the six decent restaurants that Vicksburg had to offer. Um, there, were more, there were more subways in Vicksburg. There were seven subways than there were good restaurants. And so that's not a knock on subway if any of you are a franchiser. And with the number of subways, certainly one of you is. But that's not a knock on subway. It's just to say that other than subway, there were six decent restaurants in in Vicksburg, and, and so we were on a little bit of a rotation, and we'd eat at the six constantly. And we just loved that time spent with people, spent eating together, and spent talking. There's just something, there's just something about sharing a meal with friends that's that's awesome. And and that that's taken to even a greater level when you know that your time together is short. And this morning in Luke chapter 22, what we see is we see Jesus, one of his final moments with his disciples. These are men who had followed the ministry of Jesus. And so for the past three years of their life, they've followed Jesus from town to town. They've gone and they've seen miraculous things. They've seen the multitudes follow, but they've also seen the multitudes turn away. They've seen Jesus heal, and they've also seen death threats. They've seen it all. And the end is near. And so Jesus arranges for them to spend one last meal together. And in Luke 22, we're going to pick up in verse 14. This is what we find. And when the hour came... He reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now the Passover was an annual meal. It's recorded for us in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 12. And in a minute I'm going to tell you what the Passover was, but just know that the Passover event makes Catching Fire and the entire Hunger Games trilogy look like a heartwarming affair. It was brutal and it was bloody. The Israelites had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They were oppressed and enslaved. And God sent his servant Moses to petition their release on their behalf to Pharaoh, who was the ruler over Egypt. 
And so God sent Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't listen. And so God sent a number of plagues as signs and wonders to convince Pharaoh to listen to his servant Moses. Well, time and again, God would send a plague and Pharaoh would say, I'll let you leave only to, only to recant and change his mind. Finally, God sent a final plague. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn where God sent the angel to literally kill the firstborn of every family and the firstborn of all the livestock. This occurred to every single family in Egypt unless they had listened to the instruction of the Lord and they had taken a lamb and sacrificed it and then taken its blood and painted the blood on the doorposts and on the side beams. These were the instructions that God gave to Moses. And if the Israelites listened to those instructions and they slaughtered a lamb and they took the lamb's blood and they painted it on the door, then the angel passed over and spared their firstborn. The angel of death passed by. Now what we see from the principle of the Passover are two things. One is that deliverance from judgment requires death. And that death can be the death of a substitute. That's what Passover taught the Israelites. And this is the meal that the disciples are getting ready to share with Jesus. The Passover meal. The reminder of what God did. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink on, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What Jesus has just told his disciples is this Passover meal that they were about to eat, this Passover meal, when they looked back at what God accomplished for the Israelites in Egypt, when they looked back and they saw the innocent lamb slaughtered, what Jesus told his disciples was, this Passover was the final one. This was it. There would be no more need for a Passover, there would be no more need to remember that which God accomplished temporarily when they painted the blood of the lambs on the doorpost and temporarily the angel of death passed by that house. Jesus tells his disciples, this is it. There's no more need for a Passover. This is the final one. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
And so Jesus here with his disciples gathered around the table says to them, I am the new lamb. I am the new lamb. He tells his disciples what just hours later he would do on their behalf and on our behalf. He would come and he would be the sacrifice. He would be the payment of our sins. He would go to the cross, though he was perfect, he would go to the cross and he would pay the price. He was the innocent lamb. No lamb needed shed again because of the work of what Jesus Christ had accomplished and was going to accomplish when he told his disciples, look at this bread. This is my body. Broken for you. And he took the cup of wine. He said, This, this is my blood that is poured out for you. This is something we as a church remember. About once a month, we come and we take communion. We look back. We search our hearts and we see the sacrifice of Jesus. We pass you a small piece of bread. We pass the cup. And I want you to know our approach at Mission View is, is communion symbolic. It's symbolic. There's, there's nothing magical that happens with the elements of, of communion. Steve can barely dress himself. He can't pray over a piece of bread and make it either the physical or spiritual body of Christ. It's just a piece of bread. I can't pray over a cup and, and make, it any, make it the blood, either spiritual or physical. It, it's just juice. That's, that's all it is. It's just symbolic. In the same way that Jesus was here and he broke the bread and his body was still fully intact when he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is, this is my blood. He, he wasn't bleeding in front of them. It, it was just wine. Our, our approach to communion is symbolic. But it's to help us refocus. And so later this morning, we're going to take communion. But just know it's bread and it's juice. It's not the body or blood of Jesus. But the symbolism behind it helps us remember that which Christ accomplished on our behalf. See, his body was broken. His blood was shed. The Bible tells us a couple books later in Romans that the price, the price of our sin is death. That's the cost of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. Because of that which Christ did on our behalf, because Jesus went and he paid the price. 
Jesus went to the cross. What he's telling his disciples, he's about to go do. My body will be broken. My blood will be spilled. The reason is because I mess up. I'm the reason that Jesus went to the cross, and so are you, because I like to think I'm perfect. I like to think I have it all together, but at the end of the day, I'm a broken, messed up guy, and don't shout amen too loud, because at the end of the day, you're a broken, messed up guy, or you're a broken, messed up woman too. And the reality is together, we can come together here today, and we don't have to pretend that we have it all figured out, and that's not what the church is supposed to be. We can come together today, and we can say, I'm messed up, I'm broken, but by God's grace, I don't want to stay that way. And by God's grace, I don't want you to stay that way. Because we've all seen what happens when we try to follow after ourselves. And it isn't pretty. And some of us keep it together better than others. But there's still some messed up junk in all of our lives. And so Jesus tells his disciples I'm about to go be the sacrifice but behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table for the son of man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 22. I'm going to read it again. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. See, understand the plan of redemption for us the plan of God redeeming us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, was set into place before God even created this universe. 1 Peter 1.20 tells us that. For before the foundation of this world, God appointed Christ to be our sacrifice. See, we celebrate Jesus coming to this world, but know that he came with a purpose. And his purpose wasn't merely to do miracles. His purpose wasn't merely to show us morality. His purpose wasn't to be merely a good leader. His purpose was redemption. That's the reason Jesus came. Because of God's love for us. Because God in his foreknowledge knew that we would be a mess, we would be a wreck, and we needed help. So God sent his son. To be that help, to be that sacrifice, to be it for us. It reveals that one of his disciples, we know Judas, would betray him. He would sell Christ over to the rulers and religious people for money. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be who was going 
to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, can't you just see this? This is what happens when you put 13 guys in a room. Jesus tells 12 guys, one of you is going to betray me. And then they're like, well, it's not going to be me. So it's, it's, it's got to be one of you. And then they start, they start looking and begin questioning one another. They begin questioning the commitment of the others in the room. Well, I know it's not me. And you know they start with that, and then they're like, well, why isn't it going to be you? You say it's not going to be you. Why not? Well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. It could be you. Well, it's not me. Why is it not you? And men are ruthless. And so it's like a court scene without a judge going on right there. And they're just battling. I can just see it happening in my mind right now as it just becomes a contest over why it's not going to be me, but it's going to be somebody else in the room. And Jesus had just moments earlier told them, my body will be broken. My blood will be shed for you so that you could be redeemed. And they start fighting over who is the greatest among them. And it's not a new fight to the disciples. This is what happens when you put a bunch of guys together. It was my sophomore year in high school. I was part of something called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I thought if I'm part of something named Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I should be an athlete. Now, in some schools, football's the premier sport. In some schools, it's baseball. In some schools, it's basketball. And no school ever has men's tennis been the premier sport. But that's what I played, men's tennis. I was part, I was part of a doubles team with a guy named Mike. And Mike and I were just good enough to be too good for JV and just terrible enough to not really be that good for varsity. But guess what? Injuries happen. And so all of a sudden, Mike and I got called up to the varsity squad, and we were playing second doubles for the Green High Bulldogs. Yes! And we had Coventry on our schedule. <laughs> Coventry. <laughs> you don't stand a chance. And Mike and I got there, and the singles matches happened, and we're warming up, and we're ready to play, and all of a sudden, Coventry brings on the team that we are about to play, and we're second doubles, and we look across the net, and we see two foreign exchange student girls who had never played tennis before, but Coventry needed extra people on their team, and we're playing two foreign exchange student girls who never played tennis before on the men's tennis team. And we slaughtered them. Six love, six love. It was a thing of beauty. There was no mercy. We're in the big leagues. This is varsity tennis for the Green High Bulldogs. Next morning in the Akron Beacon Journal. Green High varsity tennis. Pursley. Bianchi. Six love. Six love. The next day, we were sent back to JV. Never to be called and used on varsity again. So at year end's time, guess who had the best winning percentage on the entire tennis team? Oh, it was Bianchi and I. We didn't lose an entire match all year on the varsity level. We were 1-0. That is undefeated. 
And so we felt we were deserving of an award at the spring sports banquet. We didn't get an award. We didn't get a letter. We didn't get a certificate. They didn't even mention our names. Or they had a slideshow. We didn't even make the slideshow of the tennis team. And one of the guys was like, well, you didn't even make the slideshow. And we're like, you didn't win but two matches all year. At least I didn't play girls. I mean, what do you come back with that when you're in high school? You got nothing. And that's what it became for the rest of that spring semester is all we heard about with the tennis guys was how we beat a couple of foreign exchange student girls who never played tennis before in their lives. This is what happens when you put a bunch of guys together in a room. It's how we show affection to one another. It is the mutual man love language, all right? Just understand that. You might think if you're an observer, wow, those guys spend a lot of time together, but they hate each other. Other. No, they're just in a, in a firm bond of love. That's how they show their affection for one another. They couldn't love each other anymore. And the disciples are fighting over which of them is to be regarded as the greatest. Which of them is to be the best? And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Isn't that the whole point of authority? I mean, when we look at authority as it's established in our country, isn't that the whole point of authority? Isn't that the point of being the boss? Isn't that the point of being a successful politician where you actually get elected somewhere? You get to tell people what to do. That's the entire point of authority. That's the entire way that we have everything structured. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. This is how we function as a society, in our relationships. Not so with you, Jesus says. He, he points to let, let you become like the youngest. In that culture, the, the social pecking order was derived largely by age. And so if you were older, you were more respected just because you were older. And so Jesus tells his disciples, you strive to be the youngest. You, you strive to be the least. You have this picture of greatness in your mind. You think you know what greatness looks like, but not so with you. Jesus calls us to a different standard. To literally a different definition of greatness. And he asks a question. He says, who's greater? 
the person throwing the dinner party, or the waiter and waitress who are bringing out the food. Well, naturally, we would all say, well, it's the person who's paying for the whole thing throwing the dinner party. No offense to the waiters and the waitresses, but the person who's throwing the dinner party is the greatest, the most noble, the, the person of most importance there. Jesus says, look at me, I'm one who serves. You need to serve. So church, this needs to be our rallying cry. Not so with us. Wouldn't it be great if our spouse, if their whole desire when they woke up in the morning was to outserve us? Oh, wouldn't that be a great marriage? That they got out of bed and they were like, I can't wait to beat you down to the sink and do the dishes that were left in there last night. I can't wait to run the vacuum. I can't wait to pick up everything you leave out. Oh, you left your shoes out. Let me get those for you. Here's the remote. Put on whatever channel you would like. Wouldn't it be incredible? If our spouse's entire goal from when they woke up in the morning to when they went to bed and they stayed up even after they were tired because they just wanted to serve us longer, wouldn't it be an incredible marriage if all day long their singular goal and focus in life was to serve us? That would help the divorce rate immensely if our spouse would just figure that out. That's, that, that is what they're supposed to do all day, to serve me. Wouldn't it be great to go to work? And your boss realizes that his or her job is to serve you all day. Think of how much better your workplace environment and atmosphere would be. Or your neighbor. Yesterday, as it kept snowing and snowing and snowing, your neighbor came outside with their snowblower and said, stay inside by the fire, watch Elf with the family, we've got this, and here are some Christmas cookies we made you. Don't worry about it, you just have a good day. Who doesn't want to live next door to that neighbor? That would be incredible. I wonder how many, do, how many marriages would be saved. How many workplaces would shoot up the top of the list of places to work? How many neighborhoods could you not buy a house in? And we see that and we're like, that would be great if my husband or my wife did that and my boss did that and my neighbor did that and Jesus says, you do it. You do it. That's greatness. Not so with you. You be the servant. You serve your spouse. You serve at work. You serve your neighbor. Let me tell you what greatness looks like. Greatness is when the CEO strives to outserve the intern. Greatness is when the husband and wife are functioning together and their singular desire is to love and serve one another. 
Greatness is when you are known in your community as the person who wants to serve and love and care about your neighbors. Not so with you. Our entire society and culture is built on gaining power so that you can be served. And Jesus says, not so with you. You gain power so that you can be a greater servant. You become like the least. That is what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. Not so with you. Not so with you. You are those who stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Here he tells his followers, you'll be exalted. You'll be exalted in the kingdom. But he tells them that only after he tells them what greatness looks like. And that's serving. We think about the sacrifice of Jesus a lot when we think about the cross. And here in just a couple minutes, the, the band's going to come play a song and we're going to pass the past the, the trays and the, and the cup, the, the bread and the cup. And as we look to the cross of, of Jesus Christ, we think a lot about his sacrifice. We oftentimes don't think about the sacrifice of Jesus when we think about his arrival. When we think about Christmas, we think about the, the angel appearing to Mary, and, and we can think about the humility of Jesus Christ being born in a manger, being around animals. We can, we can think about the humility there. But it's so much greater than that. It's so much beyond that. See, the sacrifice of Christ started long before the cross of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ began when God himself was willing to, to take on the form of humanity. He united divinity with the limitations of humanity and the God-man that is Jesus Christ. And he voluntarily accepted our limitations. And here's the problem. We were human. We're not divine. And so we have nothing to really compare it to because we think being human is pretty good. And it is. But in the scope of that which God is capable of, in the scope of that which God is able to do in his divinity, humanity is an enormous step down. And God was willing to unite his divine nature with the nature of humanity. Be born as a helpless child. To live a perfect life of purpose. 
and to ultimately die. That's sacrifice. And so when Jesus looks at us, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, not so with you. What he's really saying is, emulate me. Emulate me. Emulate my humility. Emulate my service. Emulate the fact that if anybody should be exalted, it is I, and yet I am willing to humble myself to buy you with my death. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. As we celebrate Christmas in a week and a half, don't miss it. It came with a purpose. He came as a servant. And he came to suffer. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And the reason that we can celebrate that so much is it came with a I was his purpose, and you were his purpose. He came that we might have hope. He came that we could be redeemed. That's the picture of the sacrifice and the service of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here today and you're familiar with a lot of stories about Jesus. You're familiar with the fact that, that Jesus loves you. You're familiar with the fact that he, he was born and, and that he died, but you've never really done anything about the problem in your life called sin. Today's that day. He was a servant and he sacrificed for you. Today's that day. In a minute, we're going we're gonna to pass communion, which is bread and, and grape juice, and it reminds us of that which Jesus accomplished on our behalf, but it's just that. It's just a symbol. Don't leave it symbolic. Make it part of your life. Make it what you live for. So in a minute, if you're here today and you've never done anything about this sin problem and you realize that Jesus is God, that he came to die on a cross for your sins and three days later he rose from the dead so that you could be saved, I'm going to lead you through a, a prayer that you can just pray to God. And if you do, the Bible tells you you're a new creation and I'd love to talk with you later today. And if you're here and you're already a Christ follower, what I want to encourage you with is, is just this. Emulate Jesus. Not so with you. You be the servant. You leverage your position to serve others. You emulate Christ they're going to pass and we'll take communion together so just hang on. God
Thank you. Thank you for being willing to humble yourself to come to this world because I have a problem. God, I pray if there's anyone here who knows a lot about you but's never really taken that step to enter into an intimate relationship with you and God, they just say, today's it. I'm convinced. I, I'm, I'm fallen. I'm, I'm messed up. I need you. God, that right now they would just say, God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I can't do it on my own. God, I realize you love me so much that you came, lived a perfect life, and paid the price for my sins when you died for me. But three days later, you rose again. God, come into my life. Be my hope. I want to live for you. And God, for those who've already made that decision, I pray that they would have a desire to out-serve everyone. you would be honored and glorified with the result. God, let us now turn our hearts to you towards your sacrifice for us. Let us ponder the depth of your love for us and your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. just want to close us in prayer and then we'll uh, have the comments so we hope to see you out there and get to have some community time with you. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, it's why we live. It's why we breathe. Because of what Jesus has done for us. God, let us be grateful. Lord, let our lives reflect the sacrifice of Christ. And, and Lord, let, it, let our lives reflect the service of Jesus to us to, to come and to be a man in this world. Let that sink in. Let us understand. Help us to understand the price that it was for him to, to leave heaven and to come to earth. I pray that that thought would humble us this morning and that it would cause us to, to live a life, Lord, of service toward other people and service to you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the blood. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. And the church said amen. All right, you're dismissed.